1: heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship.
0: Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. Psalms 19, 1 and 2.
2: Just one
1: Without question, everything that's gone on in the world and the nation and my life, this church for the past few years has been an absolute sanctuary. And today's kind of a sad day for me. Uh, Portalis has been a sanctuary, and this church has been a sanctuary. And uh, it's hard to leave. And like I said, I'm, I'm not leaving, I'm just moving to a new location. This church will always be my church, and I'll always come back here every chance I get, and I'll be home when I do. You know, the the sound rings through my ears, and it will stay in my ears forever, the sound of Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. It all started in 2015 when I made the biggest mistake of my life. When I decided to leave my career and my home and everything I had in Tulsa, Oklahoma and move into the house I grew up in in Mountaineer, New Mexico, my dad had died just a few months earlier. And uh, for some reason, I thought it was my job to take care of the house and it was my job to keep it all going, not realizing that when my dad died, a way of life died for 45 years children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. My grandma died in that house, too, by the way. My aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews and families of all kind had come to that house where I grew up in Mountaineer, New Mexico, in that house. And I thought, who going be? who's going to be here when they come? Who's going to take care of this house? And so I thought it was my job to move home. I, I tell everybody now, if your elderly parents die... Don't allow it to change your life. You keep living your life just like you would have. But I allowed it to change my life, and it almost cost me my life. The stress got so high, I had given up everything to move to Mountain Air and move into that 100-year-old house with 60 years' worth of stuff in it. I would literally wake up with recurring nightmares, wake up sitting straight up in bed with sweat running down my face, having dreamt I just died. Several times I had that dream. By the time I went to the doctor, the doctor told me, you would have been dead in three days if you hadn't to come in. My blood pressure had skyrocketed, and I was under so much stress, I told my family I was living in a casket. I was trying to keep something alive that uh, was already dead. It took everything I had to climb out of that hole and to get back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I spent the year teaching in Eric where I graduated high school, and uh That's another story. I'll let that one go. And so, but anyway, all you Dora people, you'll understand. Uh, Teaching there, and uh, it took everything I had in that school year to get through that school year. I was so depressed and so hurt and so lost and so confused. No mom, no dad, no siblings, no reason to be there whatsoever but there I was. And finally I got out of that uh, whole situation and I moved back to Tulsa and I tried to go back and put everything back together the way it was. I learned something. You can never go back. You always have to move forward. And when I went back, things didn't work out just like I thought they were going to in Tulsa. When I left Tulsa, I was a department head of the largest high school in the state of Oklahoma. When I went back, that job was gone. I ended up teaching 7th graders in a completely different school district. Those of you who are teachers will understand the dilemma behind all that. My house, I've learned you can always sell a house. You can never unsell a house. So I'm not selling this house in Portales, by the way. So I'll be back. I couldn't get my same house, so I bought a townhouse, and I was living in a townhouse. A couple of other things that I thought at the church was going to come back just like it used to, it didn't come back, and I found myself, I didn't know I was dealing with grieving. I didn't know I was mourning. I didn't understand the whole concept, and it almost killed me. In fact, I became suicidal, and I was uh, about dead, and I took my 100-plus sick days that I had stored up over the years. Those of you who are are teachers, don't just use your sick days. Save them. You might need them sometime. So I took my 100-plus sick days, and I quit teaching, and I went to Dallas and went to work for the airlines. Well, everything was great, and that was all fine and dandy, except for I went from year 25 of pay raises as a teacher to year one as a pay raise of working for the airlines. And, of, of course, the airlines provided a hotel for me to stay in on the days I was working. But the days I was off, I discovered... I was homeless because I had to rent out my house in Tulsa because I couldn't afford to make the payments on it. So I called the only friend I had left, I thought, Stephanie Hicks. And I cried on her shoulder, and I told her what was going on. And Stephanie says, why don't you come here to Portales on your days off? You can ride in boutique air and come to Clovis, and I'll pick you up. And you can come to come to Portales. I'll provide you a place to To sleep, I'll provide you. I'll even cook your food for you. It won't cost you a penny, and and I'll give to you. Now, when I met Stephanie, she lived in a camper trailer, 28-foot camper trailer, in a trailer court on the edge of town. She had gone through some incredibly difficult times, and she had put her trust in some people that didn't pan out like she thought it was going to pan out, and she was broken, and she was very hurt. Some of you might not know that about Stephanie, but she was very downcast and very broken. And it was interesting that in her brokenness, she found someone else that was broken and said, let me give to you. Well, it didn't take too long for me to fall in love with Stephanie. And on her 50th birthday, I dropped to a knee in front of her mom and dad and all of her children and all of her grandchildren. And I asked her to marry me with tears running down her face. She said, yes. And she stood up and we hugged. And when we hugged, she whispered in my ear. She said, Ten years of hell is over. And that was the case for both of us. On December 21st, 2019, standing in the living room of the house we bought for this very occasion, her son performed the wedding. And the biggest blessing that ever happened to me in my life happened when I said, I do. And I married Stephanie Hicks. Well, after the first of the year, I went back to work in Dallas. I was training, teaching flight attendants and evaluating their performances for FAA purposes. And uh, March 23rd, because of the big C word, we closed the training center down and COVID, the pandemic has got to us. I jumped in my little pickup that I had kept in Dallas to run around Dallas in when I was there, and I drove across West Texas and came to Portales, and I took the next five months off. And every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for five months, Stephanie and I were together. We put in a backyard, we planted grass and landscaped and poured a slab, poured a patio, put a hot tub in. Stephanie bought a sign that says, Gene and Stephanie's Paradise, still in the backyard today. And it was just a blessing. And it was without question the best five months of both of our lives. As all of a sudden we were at the pinnacle of our lives and things were good. And we had come from the absolute bottom, brokenness, heartache, to the pinnacle. It could not have gotten any better. On August 22, 2020, I went back to work. Boutique was no longer flying to Clovis, so we drove to, got up at 4.30 in the morning and drove to Roswell. I got on an airplane, and I flew to Dallas. She got on my pickup and came back home. At 10.55 in the morning, in the crew room in Dallas, I FaceTimed her. We talked, and uh, we had a great conversation. And she said, uh, I think I might go camping, which wasn't out of the ordinary. She had my pickup. She had our tent. I had just took her camping in Colorado to show her where I lived in Colorado before I, my life changed, before I moved to Tulsa. And uh, so that wasn't out of the ordinary. And then she says, I think I'm going to make some breakfast. I said, okay, I love you, goodbye. We hung up and I flew to Springfield, Illinois. And I called her and I fe- texted her and I FaceTimed her. No replies, no answers. 36 hours went by. I was home in Dal- I was back in Dallas at the hotel, and I thought, well, she'll be home at sundown. She must have went camping. Sundown came and went. She wasn't. She never called. She never replied. I finally called Silka, who works in the county clerk's office. If you see Silka, give her a hug. I said, have you heard from Stephanie? She said, no, I haven't. I said, I haven't either in 36 hours. She said, oh, Jean, she would not go 24 hours without talking to you. I'll go check on her. So she got in her pickup and she went to my house. She was supposed to call me to get the code to get in the garage. And when she called me, she says, "Gene, I'm at your house, but the garage door is open and your pickup's sitting outside." I said, "Oh, is that? That's not good. Is she in the pickup?" "No, she isn't." She says, "I'll go in the house and check. Stay on the phone." And so I'm on the phone, and she walked in the house, and she says, "Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie." And the next words I heard were, Oh my God, i got to call 911. Click. Silence. She got up to make breakfast. She got her bacon and her eggs out and turned the stove on and apparently felt dizzy and went back and sat down. She had a hypertension in her cerebral hemorrhage. And before she got her legs up on the couch... She was in heaven. I was talking to a friend of mine in Tulsa later. He called me. You know, everybody said, there's no words, Gene. We have no words. And I said, yeah, that's the right response. There are no words. And I said, but thank God I called her when I did. What if I had called her two minutes later? The last words were, I love you. Goodbye. Thank God I took those five months off. What if I hadn't take those five months off? The best months of our lives, the best time of our lives. Thank God I married her. What a travesty it would have been to not have married her, to have missed it. Thank God we bought that house together so her children and grandchildren could come and celebrate the holidays, which they did two or three times in that short amount of time. And then I heard myself say, Thank God I went to Air." when I did the worst mistake of my life because you see when I was in Mountain Air Tony Reynolds some of you might know Tony Tony and Sharon from around here he's the Baptist of the pastor church he came to me he says Gene can you come and sing for us in church and so I took my guitar and I sang a song that meant a lot to me that I used to sing with a guy that I used to tour with and as I sang the words to the song I started crying The pain was so heavy, and as I looked out on the congregation, they were all crying. And when I got to the last words of the song, as we were all bawling there, I said, I'm standing face to face with truth I should have known. A cross is more than I can carry all alone. When I walked into that church, Tony said, Have a chair right there. And I sit down, and right next to me was this beautiful blonde-headed girl with blue eyes and a smile that would swallow you. The first time ever I laid eyes on Stephanie Hicks. If I had not gone to Mountain Air when I did, I would have never met Stephanie Hicks. God will take the absolute worst decisions, the absolute worst choices, and if you let him, he will turn it into the biggest blessing of your life. And that is what communion is a remembrance of. The biggest tragedy in the history of mankind turned out to be our salvation. That's the way God does things. So today when we take communion, I'm going to ask you to hold up your communion elements. Don't be shy. Go ahead and hold them up. And we're just going to pray together. Father in heaven, I give you my worst. I give you my worst decision. I give you my worst mistake. I give you my worst choice. I give you my worst. And I say, Lord, take it and make the biggest, best blessing you possibly could out of it that changes my life forever, and that gives me sanctuary for the rest of my life. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: I wonder how much of the Christmas story... We get from stories or songs, not from scripture. This is one of my favorite far sides. If you can't read the small print, it says, Unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. I mean, we've, we know from songs, we think there are three wise men, that they are, uh, we three kings from the Orient are. We, we learn a lot from kids stories and and what we think that somewhere in the night that jesus was born a a tap on the edge of the stable and these three wise men showed up they actually probably didn't show up that night it could have been as far as six months to two years later when they showed up at the the, their house because it says in scripture that they came to the house not the stable where the child was not the baby so there's some references things the story we're looking at today is only in Matthew, and it doesn't say a lot of the things that that we think about this story as we talk about the wise men. But first, some dad jokes because you need some to be ready for Christmas. Uh, what do you call a snowman with a six-pack? An abdominal snowman. Uh, what did one snowman say to the other? Do you smell carrots? Hey, you the quicker you laugh, the quicker we'll get through these. I got twenty-five of them. All right, we could be here all day. All right, what is what says O oh, O oh, O? Oh. Santa walking backwards. A groan is as good as a laugh to me, people. I don't really care. All right. What what is every parent's favorite Christmas carol? Silent night. Yeah, it never happens, but we always love it. All right, there's lots of them. I'll post them on our website later on. Uh, We're in this series called Visitations, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 if you join me. We're looking at the places that... the, the people that visited Jesus and how Jesus visited uh, them, and we'll look at those a little bit later. But we're going to pick up in chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I want you to have it open, a physical Bible or your app, if you're joining us online or the radio. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1 from the New Living Translation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star rise as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah... For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the, first star, when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child of his mother Mary, a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, I'm fascinated with this story because to me it seems out of character and out of place in the Bible. Why would we celebrate wise people from another country coming to look at this baby Jesus? Well maybe it's because we need some backstory. Now we all know if you've been in church any time most of you would understand that Israel is the the people of God. God's people and and throughout the Old Testament we know the whole story Moses bringing them out of Egypt Joshua taking them into the promised land and and it began a relationship it was supposed to be a covenant relationship between God's people and God but they kept falling out of covenant they had this bad cycle of We'll love God and then we kind of get selfish and then they get in trouble and then God rescues them and then we love God and they just kept doing this over and over through kings, through David and Saul and David and Solomon, through the judges, all through the book of Judges, even through the prophets coming on. And they just never could get this covenant relationship to work. And so God allowed them to be handed over about... Uh, Let's say around 680, 580, somewhere in there, about 600 years before uh, Christ was born, 580 B.C., excuse me, about uh, 600 years before Christ was born, they went into bondage with the Babylonians. Jeremiah told them they were going to go into bondage for seventy years. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. The prophet Daniel told them they were going into bondage for, and they went. uh, Babylon is who conquered them, and quickly Babylon was conquered by the Medo Persians. Now, the why you need this history lesson is because of this. While they were in bondage to Persia, the Medo Persian Empire. The Persian Empire controlled about half of the known planet at that time. 48% of the known planet was controlled by this Persian Empire. It it was far-reaching, and in this Persian Empire was a guy named Daniel. Do we remember Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel respected God, loved God, and served God, and he was elevated to, let's just call it what it is. He was the second in command. He was vice king he was assistant emperor whatever you want to call him but he was the second in command of this whole empire and i believe the whole time he was there he was talking about god you have no idea how god is working out the details you see like like gene was sharing can a time of sadness be a time of growth I believe Daniel was not in a happy place. He was in a difficult place, but he kept loving God. He kept serving God in an ungodly country, and I believe he kept talking about this king. Hey, you need to understand, there's a king coming, and he's not just any king. He's not a king of a country. He's the one that will change everything. He is the coming king of kings. Now, these wise men, in some of your versions it says magi. You've probably heard the term magi. That's a Greek term. It just means wise men. That's why we call them that. They are descendants of the Medo-Persians. They are the the Medes. And the magi were skilled in in medical and uh, philosophy and natural sciences and astrology. They were skilled in learning and where the stars are at, and they followed the stars. I'd like to suggest to you something here. That these guys that we call the We Three Kings of the Orient, these guys are descendants of the people that worked with Daniel. They are the lineage of the people that worked with Daniel, and they were still looking for what Daniel talked about 600 years earlier. And that is important because we don't see how God can work out the details. You see, they were looking for wisdom. They were looking for one true God. They were looking for an answer, and they were doing it by looking at the stars, not at the Bible. See, that's hard for some of us. We want to see, you know, we we want to tell everybody to go to the Bible. I trust that. I trust the Word of God. Romans 1 says that all creation testifies to the greatness of God. The the passage that Wayne read earlier, all of uh, the heavens declare His majesty. I think those people were looking for this king for 600 years. And I think there are people in our culture right now that are looking for something. They're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for value or validation. Now, some of them are looking at the bottom of a bottle. Some of them are looking at websites. Some are looking at lifestyles. And they, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled when I do this, when I do that. And they're still searching. People are searching for that. And then. We come in here and say, well, the Bible says that behavior is bad or that behavior you shouldn't do. And and this is what you should do. And people look at us and go, I don't care. Because to to them, to some of the world, the Bible uh, Bible says it's not enough to give them an answer. Now, to me it is. Please don't go out here and say, Don says he didn't like the Bible. That's not what I said. All right, I'm saying that some people outside the church are going to look, and when we say the Bible says this behavior, then they're just not going to listen to it. They're looking in other places. We've got to point them to a changed point of view. We've got to give them a different point of view. Not by our rants and our words, but by how this one true God has changed you and me. I want to introduce you to somebody. His name is Jim Finch. He's 42 years old, and he lives in Clarksville, Tennessee. Last Sunday morning, when we were here talking about uh, the the shepherds, and Mike was sharing how the week before he was in Hawaii, and well, last Sunday morning, Jim Finch left his home in Clarksville, Tennessee, at about 1 a.m., he was driving to Mayfield, Kentucky. Saturday afternoon, he had been watching the news. Mayfield, Kentucky was one of the towns that was just absolutely devastated by these, that big monster tornado that went through about 10 days ago on a Friday night. He was watching it Saturday afternoon, and he was just overwhelmed. He said, we've got to do something. So he went to Walmart. He bought all the bottled water he could load in his pickup, all the food he could get in his pickup, and he locked onto his smoker. And he started out for Mayfield, Kentucky. He was about three hours away. He wanted the to get the charcoal going about 4:30 in the morning. He pulls into this town it's completely devastated. This this tornado had just demolished everything. He found a clean spot, ended up being a parking lot for what used to be a church. Church was not there. I mean there all was there was the concrete, that's it. Everything else was gone. He found a clean spot, he parked, he fired up his grill and he started throwing stuff on there. Chicken, hot links, burgers, sausage, he started grilling And then about 10 or 11, he started hollering. Hey, y'all come over here. We got free food. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have cell service. There was no way to get this word out. It kind of went word of mouth. And where he had chosen to park was the parking lot for a church that ended up wanting to have an impromptu kind of on-the-fly church service last Sunday morning to kind of deal with this. They pull up, and there's this guy out there grilling in their church parking lot. So they just had church and lunch. And he started hollering at people, come on over. Let's get you, get you some food. People started going back into their what was left of their houses, and if they had freezers, they brought out meat to him. They brought out hot dogs or beef or whatever they had, and they just started giving it to him. And he just cooked until he ran out of food and ran out of money. He did this all, and he did not one time ask where they were from. He didn't ask their income level. He didn't ask, did you lose your house? Okay, then you come up here. I want to feed you. He didn't ask anything like that. He just started serving food. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, is this guy a Christian? Honestly, I have no idea. I got this story from the uh, Washington Post. It actually hit... Today's show somewhere in the middle of the week, and the post went down and interviewed this guy. He did it all on his own money. He he was not there on some program. He was not somebody sent him. He just said, "Man, that was bad. I got to do something." So he locked onto a smoker and he drove three hours. Let me ask you another question: Did that guy act like a Christ follower? We should wholeheartedly say yes. That is one hundred percent how a Christ follower should work. How a Christ follower should look. It should be looking for, is there a problem and what can we do about it? He didn't have to have a program. He didn't have to have uh, an agenda. He just wanted to love on people. Friends, we have an opportunity to show Jesus to people this season. During this holiday season, we have an opportunity where the rest of the world that may not look at the Bible, that may not look at the church, they're kind of looking. I've been in churches before that would just get really, truly offended if there's a Christmas tree or anything like this. We're not doing anything like that because that's worldly. We're trying to say, hey, man, if, if you're paying attention, we'll do anything to point you to Jesus. So let me ask you this. Are, are we doing that? Do your words point others to Him? Do your actions make Him famous, or do they point to you and your opinions? Friends, this is an opportunity for us to love harder than we have ever loved before. This should be, this week should be the time that this as a church family makes more impact on our community than we ever have. We should have eyes looking around who is hurting, how can we help? Let me talk about a couple other things. The wise men brought gifts. We know what the gifts were: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is kind of where we get the common thought that there were three wise men. But I chased some rabbits this week, so stick with me on this. The historian Josephus tells us that in this biblical time, if there was a low-level king in an area around you, that it was typical. It was it was a typical thing. You know, it was just it was customary that the that your country would send a gift to that country. And a customary gift, a typical gift, was something around the, the, the money of 110 kilograms of gold. Now, I have no idea how much a kilogram is because I'm American. We don't do that. Uh, I have to go to my Googling machine and figure out how much it is. I Google it. It's 243 pounds. I called a buddy on Thursday. On Thursday of this week, gold was selling for $1,784 an ounce. A little math will tell you that's just over $7 million. Okay, 243 pounds. Go, back, go with me. The vision we have is these three guys with a nice little hat carrying this little bitty treasure chest, right? I mean, is that what you grew up with the flannel graph? Tell me, is that 243 pounds? Uh, uh, no. Uh, of gold? that it, No. And I have this image. How many of you have seen the Aladdin movies? You know, the animated and the Will Smith one. And we'll, when, the, when they come into town and the elephants are, you know, and there's just this huge entourage in the water and everybody's shaking and everything. I kind of had that image. That Joseph and Mary are sitting in their little house and they're watching TV or reading the newspaper or whatever they're doing, right? And here all of a sudden starts coming this... Sound of a camel, and two camels, and a hundred camels, and elephants, and all this stuff. Because it is not... I don't, I don't think it's even possible for three guys to carry that much just in gold. I think they're going to have servants. I think they're going to have extra things. They're hauling all this stuff. I think it would have been an entourage. Camels and servants. Because this, if they, if they held on to this prophecy for 600 years... And they've been looking for this king for 600 years. Are they going to bring the bare minimum? A customary gift for a low-level king was 100 kilograms of gold. Are they going to bring the bare minimum? If they've looked for 600 years for this thing, man, this is epic. We are going to bring all of it. We are going to honor this king with more. It says they gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I got a hunch there were rugs. They're coming from Persia there's going to be dishes and and foods and spices and jams and everything you could think of that they're bringing to honor a king. They probably filled out Joseph and Mary's house something worthy of a king. Which makes me ask another question. What do you bring the king? Some of you just squirm because you're like, "Uh-oh, here he goes. It's a money sermon." No, that's not what this is about. It's not a, this is not the money sermon. It's a simple question. What do you bring the king? The, the concept of the wise men bringing gifts uh, as a sermon is not a new one, okay? But this idea of what have you brought to the king? First Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14 tell us all about spiritual gifts. That each of us are gifted areas. We're really skilled in areas. Are you using that for yourself or are you using it for other people? For God. You see, we've got an opportunity this week to use what you have to impact somebody else. And like the Magi, are you bringing the bare minimum? Or are you really sharing your giftings? He is our King, and He should be honored as such. We just sang that song, I want you and nothing else. One of the lines in there, I'm sorry when I've gone, just gone through the motions... I'm sorry when I've come with my own agenda. May we bring our gifts to the king? Another thought about these baby gifts. Why these gifts? Why these mentioned? Gold. Okay, I can kind of see that money. I mean, hey, it takes a lot to raise a kid. Frankincense. Well, what that is is right there in the name. It's incense. It's smell goods. When well, the world's I going to help with a baby? Maybe around diaper changing time. I, I, I do That's about all. All right. What in the world is that going to do any good? Myrrh, any ideas what myrrh is? Myrrh is a burial oil. Why am I bringing that to a baby? Here's why. These are prophetic gifts. This was a child of prophecy, and this was a gift to a baby that was to be the king. Sometimes the baby gifts you give are not necessarily for right then. True? Sometimes you get them for a one-year-old or a two-year-old. You know, you get something, get the little walker. If you're bringing a baby home from the... Hospital, you don't need a walker, but, but, a, but you'll eventually need a walker, won't you? So sometimes the gift is for a little bit later. Friends, I think Jesus was getting gifts not just for then, but for where he was going. A burial oil, an incense to lift up our hearts. You see, I think oftentimes we ask God to solve something, to fix something, to to overcome something right now. And more more times than not, God does not give us what we want, but He equips us with what we need. What you are moving into tomorrow. Sometimes we oh God, we need a new job. I I need a new relationship. I need this situation fixed. And He says, well, maybe you need your heart fixed. Maybe you need to be stable. Maybe you need to trust me more. We saw this this week in the life of one of our very own uh, people in our church in Valerie Brumfield. Most of you know Val's situation. We just lost Rick about a month ago. and. Uh, if you've been in Portalis any amount of time, the last 20 years or so, the Rooney Moon Broadcasting has done this secret Santa thing where they send one of their DJs up on in the air or on a building or something, and they do some crazy thing where they raise a lot of money, and then people nominate people to be secret Santa. Well, some people from Dora nominated Val, and they showed up at her house this week, uh, Wednesday or Thursday an entourage from the school coaches all of justice's basketball team everybody showed up Uh, i stole this straight off her facebook page tree and gifts and wrapping paper and all and food and all this stuff to bless her and she was just overwhelmed and full of tears she was here last night and we got to share about this now i know val and i know what she wants right now she wants the grief to go away is that a fair want but many of you still deal with grief too and you want that to go away and i wonder if god didn't give her what she wanted but what she needed she gave god gave her the gift of you are not alone there are people with you and maybe god is giving you and i gifts very similar to that that he's teaching us that we are not alone This king comes in and he changes everything. Friends, there is a chance you will walk a different path than you plan, And by chance, I mean 100% guarantee that you're probably going to walk a different path than what you think. I've got it all planned out. It's going to go this way and everything's going to go this way. Anybody done that? (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're over here on plan D or F or triple z or wherever you're at you know like this was never in the plan you see the road you're traveling today you have no idea how god is working those guys were sitting at home and they saw a star and it may have been months of traveling to come to this baby they had no idea mary and joseph had no idea They, they could not see what was going on And let me ask you this. I'd love to interview those guys. We know the story that they went back a different way because Herod was going to kill them and Herod was going to kill all the babies and and God warned them. And so they went back another way. I'd love to interview them on the way back. What was that like? What were you expecting and how different was it on the way back? Friends, we need to know this. If If your life looks the same before as before you met the king as after, then, then we're missing something here. If your life looks just the same after you meet the king, then you're, you're not really seeing the king. There are still changes to be made. God is calling us to be different. And He's calling us to use our gifts for our community. Because some of them are not going to see the Bible. There's an old saying that Sometimes you're the only Bible they'll ever see. Are you going to point them to the king? Are you going to be the star that shines them to what really matters? Friends, this series, Visitations, it's about letting him visit you. It's about changing your point of view. Last week we talked about how to deal with Poverty. And how we have got to look at poverty differently. We can't just throw money in the, in the kettle and then reach over and pat ourselves on the back. This is also about our community. We can't just look at them and say, well, if they just change their... No. We've got to go to them and bless them. The way this, this group of wise men traveled to do anything to honor that king. We need to be that people. We have the opportunity to see the king of kings. We have no idea how God is going to work out the details. And if we'd realize that, it could be kind of fun then. Then we just get to ride with Him. All right, God, where are we going today? Let's look for His place. Let's look for His heart. Let's look for the people that need hope this week, this season. And let's point them to the King. He came for you. He came for me. Let's pray. God, You are with us. You came to change us. And I pray our attitude is changed. I pray our actions are changed. I pray our behavior is changed. I pray we see people differently. Father, like these wise men that traveled to see... Your Son, to bring gifts. May we bring our gifts to You. Because You came. You gave us the greatest gift of all, hope. May we be changed by that today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in portales New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.